I'm Archbishop Alan Vigneron of the Archdiocese of Detroit, and this is the Eyes on Jesus podcast. Hi, and welcome to the Eyes on Jesus podcast with Archbishop Alan Vigneron. I'm your host, Mike Chamberlain. And I am your host, Mary Wilkerson. And we're always pleased to have you here listening to our show. Please remember to subscribe and follow wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Archbishop, welcome to the studio again. Thank you. Happy New Year, Mike. Happy yeah. New Year, Mary. Happy New Year. How was your last month? How did everything go for the, the finale of Advent as well as Christmas? How's everything been going for you? I had a blessed Christmas, uh, midnight mass at the cathedral. Uh, some of my family came. Uh, one of my brothers, uh, who is not effusive in his praise, said, "You were in the zone. You were. You oh, pre- that's you, nice. you were hitting it." So. Oh, that's you high know praise. That's honesty. When a sibling can give you a compliment, then you know that because it yeah. takes a little, a little bit of a dig sometimes to yeah. like. <laughs> that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, you're no hero to your yeah, exactly. brothers and sisters. <laughs> that's true. But I, it was a beautiful celebration. I, I had a lot of joy in Christmas. That's Good. great. How was how was your New Year's? Did you do anything uh, special to celebrate or set any new resolutions or anything like that? Uh, yeah, I've got a resolution. I have to remember what it is. <laughs> That's not a good sign. <laughs> that is not a good sign. It's pretty sign. early on, but uh, yeah. Uh, it, uh, yeah, to uh, keep my desk clean instead oh. of letting stuff pile up because okay. I spent a whole day excavating on top of it, oh, and I'm really? not going to let that happen again. Isn't it funny? Every time I do something like clean out my van, I'm like, never again will I let it get to this point. So I'm going to wish you the best of luck with that <laughs> resolution. <laughs> do you stay up all the way to midnight? Uh, no, the, no, no, no. <laughs> this year I actually did. What about yeah, you, Mike? I did. You did? I was I was in bed, but watched yes. the ball drop from, and then shortly after shut it off and yeah. went to bed. So, I remember yeah. as a kid, I used to laugh at my mom because she would like fall asleep and then like wake up for the, and I'm now that mom that like falls asleep and then <laughs> right before, just to say I was able to watch it, <laughs> watch the ball drop. Did you do any, did you go to a party or anything like that? Or do you just hang at home? Hang at home. Uh, my family has our uh, Christmas gathering. Uh, on the Saturday after Christmas, okay. and so that that's our big family mm. Christmas time. Very Great. good. We awesome. do a kind of that white elephant Christmas oh. go round, you know, nice. steal a Christmas gift, pick a number, that sort of thing. I have a feeling you're a little competitive when it comes to that. <laughs> I bet, like he's a, like a sly competitive yeah, yeah. person when it comes to the white elephant. I bet. So, he <laughs> strategically be thinks through which one he's going to steal. You know, I'm sure. I do. Our yeah. group of friends does that as well, and I tag team with my husband. Like I give him the look, like you better steal that gift right now as <laughs> a later number. So awesome. Yeah. Very good. Well, I am so excited to hear about your visit to Rome. You had an ad lib and a visit with the Holy Father, with yourself and all the auxiliary bishops of Detroit, and then more people. So who was all Well, uh, we are uh, called to Rome for these visits by, the, by region. The United States uh, Dioceses are in, uh, divided up into 14 regions, I believe oh. is the number. So you go with uh, the bishops of your region, and our region uh, is Ohio and Michigan. Okay. So all the bishops of the province of Cincinnati, all the bishops of the province of Detroit. So there are about 20 of us. Okay, awesome. And what was it like to meet with Pope Francis? It was a wonderful experience of fraternal support. Really? Uh, we sat around in a circle. Uh, he said, there's no agenda. Uh, I want you to tell me what your questions are, uh, any concerns you want to raise, uh, things you'd like me to hear. Um, I'm going to use a translator. It makes it easier that oh. way. Uh, 
So uh, he spoke in Italian, and we all spoke in English, except one of us who's very good in Spanish slipped into Spanish, but then he translated for himself. Oh, okay, oh. great, great, very good. And how much time did you have with him? Uh, a, about two hours and 15 minutes. Wow. Whoa. That's right. Whoa. That, That's really, it was a beautiful experience. Amazing. Okay, so I'm going to ask a question. Do you feel like you were able to kind of ask authentic questions, or was the conversation more formal? Oh, no, it was very, uh, very fl- free-flowing, and uh, we really did express to him what was on our minds, some particular issues. I think we spent a, a good bit of time about uh, the new evangelization, huh. af- affirming for him how important that is for us, thanking him for his leadership, uh, hearing what he had to say about it. That was very, very good. I came away uh, very confirmed in the direction our diocese is taking with uh, Unleash the Gospel. That's awesome. That's great. Just out of curiosity, I know you've had ad limited visits with um, the past three popes. Um, How do they kind of compare or contrast uh, from one another to to each other, you know? Well, Pope uh, John Paul did them very differently. Uh, he uh, uh, had an individual meeting with every diocesan bishop hmm. uh, and spoke one-on-one. Oh, wow. And then uh, when he was still healthy, in addition to that, he would have every, all, the whole group uh, come celebrate Mass with him and then come and join him for a meal, which wow. was the time for the more informal conversation. Wow. So my first visit with uh, St. John Paul was like that, but I didn't have the audience. I was an auxiliary bishop yeah. in Detroit. My second time, I was the Bishop of Oakland, and the Holy Father was very infirm with his Parkinson's, and so mm. the conversation was very labored, and there was no occasion for the Mass and the meal. Yeah. For Pope Benedict, uh, it was uh, very much like with uh, Pope Francis. Uh, we sat around in a circle and had a very informal conversation, and I would say uh, equally uh, uh, personal and, and fraternal. That's great. Okay, so I have to ask this question too. Were you nervous? Do you get nervous, or is it you're with a, a brother bishop? Like, how do you feel when you go somewhere into... in between? Yeah, Mary. <laughs> I feel like I'd be so nervous. I get nervous sometimes sitting with you, so I can't imagine being. <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, you're on your best behavior. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you, I realize it's a, it's a great privilege, but uh, I mean, the Holy Father wants all of us to feel like brothers, and so the best we can do is to enter into it in that, in that uh, uh, spirit. So, And did you have an occasion to grow closer with the bishops from the region since oh, you're Oh yeah, that's a big help. It's, right. uh, we're, we're there uh, these six days back and forth together. So yeah, it's, a, it's not quite like being at summer camp, but uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's very, it's a real blessing to be with them. Well, and I've yeah. read it's almost like a spiritual pilgrimage, right? Like you go to the different churches. Well, that's in another well. part. There are three parts of the Ad Limina visit. Uh, one is to have the audience with the Holy Father. Uh, two, uh, to have meetings with the, the leadership of the Roman Curia to discuss topics of mutual concern. And then the third is to go to the tombs of the apostles and pray. And uh, so that's a about offering Mass together at uh, the tomb of St. Peter, the tomb of St. Paul, and in addition, uh, we went all together to the Holy Father's Cathedral, uh, which St. John Lateran, uh-huh. whose actual 
official title is the Archbasilica of the Most Holy Savior, huh. and then uh, to Mary Major as well. I have goosebumps even hearing you talk about that. And you got to be the main celebrant at St. Peter's tomb, Peter. tomb. right? Wow. That was a real blessing. It was pretty amazing, I think, for us just as the faithful, because the diocese does such a good job kind of letting us know the different movements of you. And when I just, I scrolled on Facebook and I saw this picture of all of our bishops just standing with the Holy Father. It was, it's an incredible yeah. thing. It's what a beautiful thing that you got to do. Oh. I, and I would say that it's just not a personal thing. Mm. And, uh, I don't know if you reflect on it, that every time you're at mass, we're in the presence of the Holy Father. That's why oh. we mention his name. I mean, it isn't the personal presence of being in an audience, but in some ways it's an even closer presence oh. because when we go to the Holy Eucharist, we're united with Jesus, but we're united with uh, Jesus in the whole body of Christ. Oh. And so the Pope is present when we offer the Mass. Right. Yeah, beautiful. That mystical body. Yeah, that's great. Did he say anything to you that really stuck out while you were there? Um mostly I would say what stuck out in my mind was the confidence he expressed in us in speaking uh, even some things that he'd shared with us confidentially mm -hmm. uh, in trusting us to respect those confidences. Wow, that's huh. beautiful. Beautiful. Awesome. That's great. Well, thank you for sharing that. And yeah. know that we were praying for you while you were there. It was a really neat thing to, to see the pictures and to know that you were experiencing wow. that. You were all with me. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Archbishop, today we're really excited to get into our topic, which we're going to be speaking a little bit about this new resource that the Archdiocese has put out called 52 Sundays. Uh, it's a resource which is a, basically a weekly guide for families to utilize in their homes, um, reading the gospel readings, different activities, recipes, prayers, and more. Um, would you mind just telling us a little bit about this and how it got started in the first place, uh, just about this 52 Sundays resource? Well, it's something that uh, Father Polis and his team have put together in response to what we heard in the Synod. And it's really the coming together of two uh, dimensions of the Synod discernment. One, how important families are, and two, how important the Sunday experience is. Mm. And so uh, uh, my colleagues, uh, my co-workers have put this resource together in order to help Sunday, uh, families have more blessed Sundays. Yeah. And uh, to have Sunday be more than just one hour, but to have that hour be enshrined within a whole experience. And one of the things we know uh, from sociologists, uh, especially the people I've read at uh, University of Notre Dame, at uh, the McGrath Center for Church Life, they've done a lot of study about this matter. Uh, the best way to pass on the faith to children is for parents to be actively engaged in sharing their faith with their children. Oh. Uh, uh, they have a, a, a metaphor I've heard them use where they say, we've gone way beyond the time when it was just plug in, where you, parents brought their kids to the school and plugged them in and said, okay, make them Christian. Yeah. Uh, parents have to be involved. And uh, very much sharing their own faith life with their kids. And I think uh, 52 Sundays uh, has a lot of ideas for parents because I could have, you know, as priests we say, all right, 
you're the you're the first teachers of your children in the faith. And I look in parents' eyes and I think, well, what do you mind? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Explain what that means. <laughs> and, and I think uh, having a set of ideas, uh, some suggestions, I looked at it. Uh, obviously, not every family can do all those things, but uh, one or two would be, be a great idea. Yeah. And all the data says that this is what's going to make the difference, is if parents are actively engaged in, the, in their discipleship of Jesus and invite their children to share in that, that's what's going to make the difference. Yeah. You know, you, you see the, the data that says uh, one of the points young people make about why they, they give up on the faith is that it, uh, it doesn't make sense in the light of science. Well, if parents uh, are strong in their faith, I think when that doubt comes up in the life of a young person, it's not that the parents have to have all the answers, but the, the, the child can say, well, my parents so thought this was serious. I, you know, I need to take it seriously. I can't just write mm. it off. Yeah, right? yeah. I know uh, from working my years in ministry, too, uh, like kind of what you were alluding to, you, you, you mentioned to parents, um, hey, you know, it's really on you about being the first and foremost teachers of the faith and living it out and... And they usually kind of give you the blank stare, like, okay, well, what, how, you know, give me something to help me out. They usually feel very much left out, hung to dry. They don't really feel that they have the resources, or the tools. And that's why I think this is so excellent, this book, because I think it is kind of concretizing. Uh, it, it's saying, okay, we've asked you to do this, but here, let's give you a resource. Let's equip you to do this well also, which is just excellent. Archbishop, would you see this kind of as an extension of last year you had a, um, a letter that you put out about honoring Sundays and in inviting us uh, as uh, as a diocese to better honor Sundays as a day of the Lord's Day, a day of rest. Would you see this as an extension or a piece of that? Oh, certainly it's a continuation. And I uh, always emphasize that this is not uh, my particular inspiration. This is an inspiration uh, that the Holy Spirit worked through the, the whole church of the archdiocese at the synod, and the synod is the fruit of all of that uh, those listening sessions mm. in the parishes. So I confirmed and uh, endorsed what I heard the synod say, and so I see us continuing here uh, to live out uh, uh, what the Holy Spirit sp says to the church in Detroit through the synod. The Senate kind of made this, there was this movement from the Holy Spirit to really focus on Sundays. And then your document or the letter that you put out when it encouraged sports to move off of Sundays. It was funny because I was so excited about that personally, just because we're so overscheduled as families to have one day to kind of be together as a family. Then I was talking to some sports people on the sidelines at my son's football game, and they were like, you know, we were already going to Mass. I don't understand why we can't go to Mass and go to our games. And there was some real confusion, I think, that it wasn't about, we don't think you're going to Mass. It was about, we want you to have this day. And so when I saw this book come out, and Mike, you were the one that showed it to me, mm. I saw it as a real movement of the Spirit. Like, this is what it was about. It wasn't about trying to punish you by not having your football game on a Sunday. It was about giving you a chance to be family. And, and that's what the members of the Synod said to me. They said, Archbishop, give us Sunday back. Help us. Mm. We need to have Sunday for our families. And uh, so, uh, exactly, uh, pe people 
sometimes put it, well, you know, the Archbishop says uh, no sports on <laughs> they Sunday. Do, they do put it that way, Archbishop. Oh, <laughs> they definitely do. Yeah, sorry. Uh, I, I, uh, I felt I was listening to the faithful right. uh, who said we need Sunday if we're going to be the family we need to be uh, f- for the uh, sharing of the gospel. Oh. When I think sometimes that takes like true leadership because, again, with the overscheduling of just everything, I'm shocked how much effort it takes my husband and I to keep the leisure time in our family that's just for our family. Because every minute of every day, we could be doing something (laughs) and we can be doing sports and clubs and activities and activities. And this book, I just couldn't believe what a beautiful gift it was to say, like, here's how you slow down as a family. Hey, you can cook together or do a craft together. Let's look at this saying as a family and what that might mean to us. It's actually a real usable tool, which maybe sometimes when it comes to like, I don't know, this is a generalization, but different church documents and things like that, when it trickles down to like the average family, it's not real usable, but this is so usable. Or practical and <laughs> practical, stuff, Practical, right? yeah, yeah, usable yeah. is a no, word. I know what you but yeah. like, I can actually use this. So what are some ways that you envision families using this book? Like if you had to picture it. Well, I think uh, the meal is a really important time, and, and to have the meal uh, maybe prepared together, what people do at it, uh, have that be very much just part of the a sense of blessing, the beneficence of God, that we have this food and we have this time together, and we can share it, and we can do the dishes, and we, we can... Uh, I think that's a really important thing. Another one I noticed, was, there's a lot in there about patron saints, and I think that's a very uh, useful, small way to help inculcate uh, one's identity as a disciple of Jesus belonging to the fellowship of disciples. Uh, another one that, that I'm very attentive to, and I heard about it from uh, um, a man I met at the airport in Washington, he's a professor at uh, Notre Dame, and he said that one of the things that his family does for Sunday is regularly, I don't think they do it every Sunday, but they invite other families to come be part of their uh, their family Sunday, hmm. uh, maybe play touch football together, uh, share some part of a meal together. Um, Uh, and then pray. They make prayer a part of what they all do together. And these would be families that they're friends with, but not necessarily families who are real strong in the faith. But they see this as a way for their family to be on mission. And and I think it's things like this, that uh, these, these thousand, thousand small efforts for people to touch people, mm-hmm. I think, uh, is the way forward on the new evangelization. I think you're spot on. One yeah. thing that's really beautiful that we started, uh, just when I saw this resource, I was so personally excited about it for my own family. So I just thought, you know, maybe we should put together like a Facebook group. So we invited a bunch of other moms and dads to this Facebook group. And obviously, this book starts with the Feast of the Epiphany. So this is new. But just yesterday, how families, there's like 40, 50 people in the group, posting pictures of what they did with this book. So different people made king cakes, and some people did the chalking of the doors, and uh, everybody read the gospel together as a family, but differently. So my sister did it with her family on Saturday night to prepare them for, you know, the, the Sunday's gospel. I... My kids snuggle with us in bed, so on Sunday morning we invited them all in bed and we read the gospel together. But what's neat is 
these 50 families are all using this book and walking through together, but from all over the country. So there's like a big contingent in Lexington because of my sister. And we're sharing with each other. This is the way that I'm using this resource. Here's how it's helping me. But no pressure. Like I don't cook Archbishop Vigneron. So the recipes, I'm probably not going to use a lot, right? (laughs) I don't craft a lot, but I love the questions. And I love that there's clips from Unleash the Gospel in every single Sunday, right? So that together we're moving through something. Mm. So I just think the Holy Spirit touched this in a pretty huge way. So thank you. And well, thank the um, the hard workers in the diocese, amen, right? Amen. Amen. It's awesome. And what's really neat about this as well is the Holy Father announced that he was going to have Sunday of the Word of God, the third Sunday in ordinary time, where we as a global church, as a universal church, Take a moment to recognize the important of the importance of scripture. Are you familiar with him asking this? How yes, do you see this yes. playing out in our diocese? Well, it's an opportunity for all of us, especially the pastors and the catechists, to invite people to uh, make a prayerful reading of the scripture uh, m- more a part of of our lives. Uh, I've been thinking about this. I, I mentioned to you. I've reading this book offers a theological argument for how uh, the reading of the sacred scripture is a way to have a personal encounter with Jesus. That's principally what it's written for. And I think uh, this is uh, the the scripture. I don't know that we have completely, or, or as much as we could, have understood how uh, the scripture is an indispensable way for us to bring people into a personal encounter with Christ. Mm. And so the text uh, is a lot of things. It, it provokes lots of questions, it provokes uh, meditation, but I wonder if we all really do understand that when I read the scripture, I'm meeting Jesus that that's what this is really about. Just, I think I w- we're, we're all pretty good about the truth that when I receive Holy Communion, I'm meeting Jesus. Mm-hmm. But when I hear the, especially when I hear the scripture in church, I meet Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that always calls for a response <clears throat> on my part. He never comes to meet me without offering, and he never comes to meet me without asking. And I think uh, we, we need to be attentive to that. Uh, and so uh, this uh, uh, Sunday of the Word of God, I think, is an opportunity for us not only to make a commitment as the whole church and for us as leaders to lead the faithful in this, uh, to, be, to know the Scripture better, but to uh, embrace it in this much deeper way uh, as a mystery. That's beautiful. I love what you said there, too, about the kind of a mindfulness, like reading the Scripture with this mindfulness that we're actually encountering Christ through it. But I also love what you said there about the response. And I think we often fail, at least in my opinion, I think uh, from a catechetical end of things or like when we're when we're ministering to people, we kind of uh, present and we, we want people, we present Christ so that people can encounter him. But we don't necessarily invite always or invoke uh, specific response back to that. And that's where I think we just, we fall just a little bit short. We, we bring them most of the way, but then we just, we drop it right there. So I love that you said that. Thanks for saying that. Well, I mean, I think about, uh, as I pray about this, I consider people like uh, St. Margaret Mary Alacoque or uh, uh, St. Faustina who had visions, mystical mm. visions of Jesus. And 
think sometimes we can say, oh, that'd be great to have Jesus come and talk to me. <laughs> I used to think that as a little girl. Like, why wouldn't he talk to me? <laughs> but he does talk <laughs> right, to you, Mary. Right, that's, yes. that's what the scripture is. It's, right. as, it's as true mm. and powerful mm. an address to you as, as if he were to uh, appear in, in a mystical vision. Mm. <laughs> that's true. It is true. Um, so when uh, when we look at this day of scripture on Sundays, the World Day of Scripture or Sunday Scripture, um, what are some things that parishes can do to mark this day? So as a uh, as a small parish, as a big parish, what are things that you can do the third Sunday in ordinary time to really focus on what you're saying? Like I had never thought of it that way. It like hit me a little emotionally that the same way that Jesus spoke to Saint Faustina, He's speaking to me. How can pastors? How can people that work for the church? Well, the been we have. Uh, aids, uh, ideas on the, the AOD website that help okay. with this. I uh, see that uh, Father Brian Meldrum has written some bulletin articles that offer catechesis on this. Yeah. I think uh, the homily on, on the Sunday for uh, the, the World Day of uh, the Word <laughs> yeah. it be very, very important. I think uh, prayer uh, the general intercessions, all of those things are really helpful yeah. for us to uh, to embrace what the Holy Father is offering us. One mm. of the things that I saw that I think the Holy Father asked, or maybe the Archdiocese, would be that the scripture would be enthroned on that Sunday. The Holy Father asked And I that. just thought that was so beautiful. Sometimes when Mike and I will do presentations with teenagers, and you know, I read from scripture, I tell the kids, like, sit up straight in your seats. Like, this is the word, like, change your posture for what we're about to receive. And you see them kind of be like, Okay, and they, they sit up a little bit because we get a little used to the gift. I get a little used mm -hmm. to the gift of Scripture. So to take a moment where it even looks different on that Sunday, on the third Sunday of Ordinary Time, to focus us, right? Right. Yeah. Well, Archbishop, I know obviously uh, when it comes to Sunday readings, you yourself are are very much plugged in. You're reading, you're praying over it a lot. I know in preparation for your homilies and whatnot. Is there is there a particular Scripture that has just over your years regularly spoken to you, regularly deeply impacted you, or, or going back to what you said earlier, a, a place where you've particularly encountered Christ in this singular s scripture story. Has there been one like that for you? Several. Um, when I was made a bishop, I had to choose a motto, and so I chose a scripture quote that has always meant a great deal to me, uh, Hebrews 12, 1, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, uh -huh. which to me is uh, uh, a great watchword for my own ministry. Uh, the story that probably has, one of the stories that has the most impact is the story of Jesus on the road to Emmaus, uh -huh. which I think is a paradigm for uh, all priestly work. Yeah. And uh, a text that has a lot of influence on me in my ministry is... Uh, the one where uh, Caiaphas uh, says that one man has to die for the people. Uh -huh. And St. John goes on to say he spoke this uh, as high priest that year, and uh, he, what it means is that one man had to die in order to gather together all the scattered children of Israel. Uh -huh. And uh, I have some piece of that engraved on my crozier, actually. Very cool. To help me remember that uh, my shepherd's crook is about uh, the ministry of gathering together all the scattered children of God. Wow. That's great. It's funny with that Hebrews 
uh, passage, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, your time in the church as a shepherd. I'm sh- there's been a lot of ups and downs in, in the universal church and the church in the United States. So the fact that there was this movement of the spirit to have that be a scripture that you wanted as your motto, that it's about Jesus. I'm sure that's helpful to you through some of the highs and lows, right? That and the other one, uh, he can do immeasurably more than in us than we ask or imagine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> or power is made perfect in weakness. Those yes. are all important. That's yeah. beautiful. That's awesome. Very good. That's great. Well, thank you for sharing. So one of the things that we do that I absolutely love is we ask people in the Archdiocese to submit their questions to Eyes on Jesus podcast at AOD.org. Each month, we give you, Archbishop, an opportunity to answer a handful of these questions. If any listeners have any questions that they'd like to send to our shepherd, please email us at eyesonjesuspodcast at AOD.org and make sure to include your first name, your home parish, and of course, your question. So we're going to ask you the first question, and this comes from Brandon at St. Mary of the Hills in Rochester Hills. I'm so curious about this one. How is Cardinal Maida doing? Does he play an active role in your day-to-day ministry or work? The Cardinal will be 90 years old on the 18th of March. Wow. Uh, for a man who's 90 years old, he's doing very well. Wow. Mm. But the two biggest difficulties are uh, impediments in the Cardinal's day-to-day life are his uh, failing eyesight in mm. one eye, uh, his, well, actually three. Uh, he's uh, quite deaf. Okay. Uh, he needs... Uh, uh, hearing aid and technology. And uh, when he's in a large group and lots of people are talking, like anybody who uses a hearing aid, that's difficult mm-hmm. for him. And then the third is he has trouble with his balance and trouble walking. Okay. So he's limited in what he can do, uh, but he, he reads, tries to walk every day. Uh, he still tries to uh, m- uh, remain active. Uh, but no, he doesn't have a day-to-day role in my life. Okay. Uh, we are together at some events. I, I call him from time to time, especially if there's uh, some significant event unfolding. I want to be sure he knows and that he feels connected to the right. archdiocese. Uh, before Christmas, uh, from my predecessors, and I've continued it, I have a dinner at my house for the bishops of the diocese. He was there this okay. Christmas. Oh, and then uh, shortly thereafter, he went home to Pittsburgh to be okay. with his family for oh. Christmas. So um, uh, for a man who's 90, <laughs> I think he's doing very well. Yes, and his residence is here in, in Michigan. He right. Didn't, he, okay. uh, he has his home at an apartment out at uh, St. John's. Is that by choice when you retire? Do you get to kind of choose where you want to yes, land? Yes, a, okay. a bishop gets to, okay. uh, to choose his residence. Uh, but there is a very strict norm that you have to move out of the official residence. Okay, hmm. okay. Yeah. Well, we'll remember to keep him in our prayers because I think, was he at the Synod? Is that the last yes. time I saw him? Hmm. Maybe, yeah, I was at the Synod. So maybe making sure that we keep, I mean, he's such an important part of the Archdiocese of Detroit in our history. So to make sure to keep him in our prayers. He still comes to the priesthood ordinations. Wow, hmm. that's awesome. Very cool. Very yeah. good. Archbishop Christine from St. Anastasia's in Troy asks, what is your favorite church or shrine or place to visit overseas and why? Well, first of all, I'm going to comment on her name because whenever I see this uh, Anastasia, whenever the name of her parish, whenever I see it, I always, especially at confirmation, I'll say to a kid, 
do you know what your name means? Mm. They don't usually. Yeah. It means resurrection. Uh-huh. Mm. Did you know that? I did not know that. I think it's such a great name for a Christian. Totally. Uh, favorite, this is always a tough one. I'm not going to rank them all, <laughs> one, two, or three. Yeah. I'll tell you some of my favorites. Uh, one, of course, is to be at St. Peter's, at the tomb of St. Peter in Rome, uh, I love to go to pray at the tomb of St. Philip Neri, who mm. I consider a real hero in the priesthood. And a place I love to go is uh, Lourdes. Mm. And I've, I've gone to Lourdes. You've said that before, yeah. Pilgrimage maybe 10 times wow. in my life. Yeah. And it's just a wonderful experience for me. And when I have trouble praying, I sort of project my spirit to Lourdes and mm. uh, think of myself as praying in the presence of uh, the grotto. That's a good idea to d- different places where you have felt a sacred connection to our Lord to focus on those when mm. you're in prayer and meditation. Um, when you go to some of these real like holy places like Lourdes or Rome, do you have an opportunity to kind of do a little bit of like solo walking anonymously kind of entering in or is a lot of now with you as an archbishop kind of like moving with groups and people and no i have my own way to be quiet and Dude. private at these sacred places i feel like those are that's it's so uh from some of the travel that we did we yeah. did as friends we went to austria for a semester and we were able to see a lot of europe yeah and those times where i could just be by myself in prayer in some of these deeply sacred places, St. Peter at Lourdes. Mm-hmm. I, you can, it's special. Right, it's to really absorb special. it. Yeah, yeah, right. Very cool. Okay, Arthur from St. Anselm in Dearborn Heights asks, how can we spread the good news of our obligation to pray for all of our deceased brethren? One of the best ways is to make that part of one's prayer. Um, it's the pious practice at the end of uh, the grace at the end of meals to pray for for the souls of the faithful departed. May the souls of the faithful departed to the mercy of God rest in peace. I think the best way is to invite people to join me, you, in in praying for for the dead. Mm. And to look for, typically anniversaries are uh, good ways to do this. When you notice the anniversary of, uh, say, uh, your your aunt, uh, so your cousin, say, Mary, you know, I saw that uh, yes, tomorrow's Aunt Mary's uh, anniversary. Uh, let's be sure that we both pray for her eternal rest. I think right, those yeah. are, I think those ordinary experiences are good. Now, I don't know if uh, one of the things uh, Arthur has in mind is to make the case for why. Uh, I was it, wondering if you'd explain a little bit about why we. Well, I mean, Why there's a scripture foundation for it, mm-hmm. of course. Uh, in uh, I don't know if it's first or second Maccabees. I'm sorry, I'm not right up on it, but <laughs> it, it says it's a holy and pious thought to pray for the dead. I mean, and you can find all of this in the Catechism mm-hmm. that uh, there are uh, Christian communities who reject prayer for the dead, but for us, it just makes eminent reason. There's a scripture foundation for it. And the real basis is the communion of saints. I mean, as members living here on earth, members of the body, we pray for one another. We can assist one another in uh, in our journey, in our conversion. Uh, many people leave this life without their uh, conversion completed. I mean, to be able to see God face to face, you have to love God uh, 
with the same kind of love that the Blessed Virgin has for him. That's yeah. that's a big purification. Absolutely. So that's what purgatory is, is uh, moving away from every kind of uh, uh, affection that would rival my affection for God. So if I don't have all of that by the time I die, there's a chance to, to continue. It's sort of like getting a... Uh, uh, an incomplete on your examination, <laughs> you know. <laughs> right. You yeah. get a little more time. Yeah. And we can assist one another with that. It, it's really about that kind of insight regarding the communion of saints and the mercy of God. Mm -hmm. I mean, purgatory is not a sort of a, a second-rate hell. Right. It's, it's about what we're all engaged in all the time is purgation. Right. And this beauty of the, the communion of saints. I was surprised. I, I didn't know how... Um, some different Christian denominations are really opposed to praying for the dead. That was surprising to me. And maybe I just found yeah. that out in the last three or four years in conversations with family and friends who are of different denominations. And really, and I, I was just, it just makes sense. It just makes sense yeah. that we would want to continue how we pray for each other and support one another, you know. So it's one of those teachings like, that comes you... easily to me. Yeah. But for other people, it's it's a no. point of uh, tension. But there is even but one of the difficulties is that not all uh, Christian communities would accept the the books of Maccabees as right. the right. inspired word of God. Exactly. I love too that you said remembering different dates or anniversaries of those that have passed away as opportunities to pray. Growing up, my mom always had a calendar, and she would mark the dates of people in our lives that have passed away, and then on you know January twenty second, we could check that calendar and who we would remember and pray. I should do that in my own family. It's a good idea. Well, thank you so much, Archbishop, for answering our questions once again. Is there anything that we can do to pray for, any specific intentions that we can pray for you as a, as a community of uh, podcast listeners? Well, uh, we're totally immersed right now in the Sent on Mission process, the uh, uh, missionary strategic planning for the parishes. So obviously continue to keep that very, very much in prayer. Uh, we're having a change in the office of vocation director these days, mm, and right. so I think uh, <clears throat> pray for an increase of vocations to the priesthood and religious life here in the archdiocese. And as I say, we don't have a vocation shortage. Uh, vocation means calling. I'm sure God is calling all the people we need. Mm. What we have is an audition shortage. <laughs> <laughs> people aren't hearing. Right. Yeah. So uh, pray that those who are invited are able to respond, are able to hear and answer. Awesome. You got it. We'll keep that in prayer. Archbishop, would you mind uh, closing us out with just a, a blessing as well? Lord God, we give you praise and thanks that you have given us this year and mindful of Father Solanus's wisdom, we thank you ahead of time for all the blessings that you will shower upon us in the year to come. And may Almighty God bless all of you and those you love, Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank Amen. you once again, Archbishop, for spending time with us. You're we'll welcome. see you next month. Yeah. Stay tuned for the next episode of Eyes on Jesus, a new episode every month. And if you enjoyed listening, you might also like the Open Door Policy Podcast with Father Steve Pullis and Danielle Center, a podcast for joyful missionary disciples and our movement to unleash the gospel. Find it on your favorite podcast app.